From Relay FM, this is Upgrade episode 194. Today's show is brought to you very kindly by Simple Contacts, Squarespace, and Linode. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Can you tell why I'm so excited? Why are you so excited? No, no is my answer. I can't tell why. Next week. It's draft time. <gasps> it's the most oh, wonderful boy. time of the three times a year. Uh, also, uh-huh. the WWDC draft. It's the big one. Next the week one. on Upgrade. Mm. Big episode. We're going to do our draft for our WWDC picks. Because, believe it or not, everyone, we are two weeks away from WWDC. So, get ready for that. I'm very excited for the draft, Jason. I'm very, very excited for the draft. But we don't need to keep talking about it today because we have a hashtag Snowtalk question, which comes from Joel. And Joel would like to know. This is this is an interesting question for you here, Jason. Joel would yes. like to know. Would you rather have AirPods and an older iPhone or an iPhone 10 with any other type of headphones? So just I'll rephrase it a little bit. You can own AirPods, but you cannot use them with an iPhone 10. Or you can own an iPhone 10 and you cannot use AirPods. Also, the iPhone 8 came out the same time as the iPhone 10, and he says an older iPhone, so it can't even be an iPhone 8. Well, I I guess it came out a couple months earlier. Does it count? Yeah, the iPhone 8 earlier. I am ruling iPhone 8 counts. Uh, well, I, either way, I think I uh, this is this is a tough hypothetical. I appreciate it, Joel. Thanks a lot. Uh, Monday morning, and I'm being hit with hypotheticals. <laughs> but I'm going to say where the mean man comes to my house and said, "I'm sorry, sir. You cannot possess both AirPods. One man and an cannot iPhone possess 10, so much power." That is a cruel, cruel, mean man who came to my door and said that I must give one of them up. Um, you know what? I have another pair of wireless headphones that I don't like as much, and I have some wired headphones I like very much. And as much as I like having the AirPods, I think at this point I would really rather not unlearn all the behavior that I've learned in the iPhone 10. Because if if it was another year and it was like literally just you're going back to last year's iPhone and you're going to miss a few features, but it's still the home button and all of that, I might go the other way. But the iPhone 10 has kind of reprogrammed all the gestures in my brain, reprogrammed all those kind of gestures I use on the phone. And I don't want to ever go back. Um, when I pick up my wife's phone, I'm like, what is, why is it not, oh, there's a button. How cute. There's a button at the bottom. I remember that when iPhones had buttons. So, so yeah, I think I would just make do with headphones. Although I would be, I would be sad because I like my AirPods. But I think I, I, I never want to go back uh, now that I'm in iPhone ten land. It is very difficult because every iPhone is better than the previous one. So, it's, it, you know, it is a difficult thing to say yeah. X iPhone or iPhone ten is uh, better than it's like my favorite iPhone of all time, right? Like it's a difficult thing to say because in theory they always should because they get better. But I feel like that there is some kind of like every phone you have an amount of affinity for it, you know, like that it is, of course, you know, it's a better phone, but you either like it more or less. And I would say that the iPhone 10 is my favorite iPhone since the original iPhone. Like I absolutely love this phone where like, previous phones that that affinity had started to decrease like you know if you've listened to this show for long enough you will know that i really did not like the iphone 7 right i had a lot of problems with the iphone 7 because again like they they took away stuff that didn't make sense to me and i didn't get anything in return that was my biggest problem with the iphone 7 the iphone 10 i absolutely love it so this is me saying I would use any other type of headphones. I'd go back to wired earpods personally, like because I did okay no. before, right? Like in, the AirPods are incredible, right? But I don't love the AirPods more than other headphones than I do the iPhone more than other iPhones. 
Especially because there are a, but there are a lot of cool wireless headphones on the market now. Like for example, do you know what I would do? I'd just buy the Beats once and then <laughs> and then I'm done. So sure show to you, Joel. Uh, thank you, Joel, for your mm. question. Um, you can send in a tweet with the hashtag #SnowTalk for any question to open the show. I would love uh, for you listeners, for the Upgradians, to think of something fun for our draft episode next week for a Snell Talk question. So get your brain working on that one. Maybe we can have something draft or WWDC related for our hashtag Snell Talk question. Be like Joel. Be cool. Send in a question. Yeah. So uh, mm. we have no follow up. So let's just move into upstream. Um, Netflix orders Guillermo del Toro horror anthology series it's going to be called i love this name guillermo de toro presents 10 after midnight i love that name it's so mm. evocative of something i can't put my finger on but 10 after midnight i really like it creepy scary Woo. exactly this is a part of a long-term deal that netflix and guillermo de toro have um mm. I, I think he, i think it's a first look deal i think um but but they have a deal together where they, you know he he is making content for them this show has no set episode or series order, and it has no premiere yeah. date right now. They've just announced that it's happening. And it's an anthology series, mm-hmm. and I'm fascinated because, you know, it's been... There used to be... We talked about this before, I think, but there used to be a lot of anthology series on TV in the old days, and, and like, The Twilight Zone is, is a great example of that, and there are others. Alfred Hitchcock Presents is a great example of that. But lately... With streaming especially, there has been this resurgence in this, and I'm kind of fascinated by it. Black Mirror is your best example, although there are others. I would argue that that's the reason that anthology series is so popular again. Yeah, I mean, they tried it with Amazing Stories in the 80s, and it, and it didn't really work. Like, And the Twilight Zone they brought back in the 80s, too. And it, 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 neither of them was a particularly big success. They both kind of putted around for two or three years, but they were never, never a big success. I feel like with streaming something has changed and i can't decide what it is and whether it's that audiences are more receptive to this the idea that you're essentially watching a short story instead of watching a continuing story or a short film if you will right that maybe people are more receptive to that on streaming that they can kind of pick and choose um it's funny because it's very different like you could binge black mirror but everything every episode is different so you don't really have to you could also just watch a couple and move on with your life and 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 maybe not be so sad because it's Black yeah, Mirror. It's, it's interesting because anthology series do not lend themselves to binging because we binge because shows are built to entice you to watch the next episode. So because it's just available to us, we do, right? Yeah, yeah. So the question is, why are people doing this? And my guess is that um, that some factor here is the idea that these are little films and that you end up with this is almost like a it's like a studio within a studio almost where it's like you come and work with Guillermo del it's Monday morning Guillermo del Toro GDT you go work with him you go work with GDT and um and make a you know you come in and you direct an episode mm-hmm. and you're making a little film and, you, and you're a director and maybe you're a big name director like uh, 
you know, there are there are notable people who've come in and directed uh, their other anthology series and are planning to, or, or you're a writer and you come in and say, well, I've got this, I've got this idea, and you pitch it to to GDT, and he's like, yeah, that's awesome, that fits with our format. But so I I wonder if that's part of it. Is this is a place for people who are creative, people who work in the movie and TV industry, to do these one off projects, so they're not committing to working a long time on a project. They can drop in and shoot something for a couple of weeks and then be done. Um, maybe that's part of it too, but it's, a uh, it's, uh, another one, another one for Netflix. Um, our, our, by the way, yes, it, listener Joe in the chat room has pointed out that Netflix also has announced the thing we talked about a few weeks ago, which is that, uh, the Obamas have made that deal that maybe David Letterman helped inspire them to make <laughs> to produce films and series for Netflix. So the Obamas... Have, uh, are going to try it, which I think is going to be interesting to watch because there is a real question about whether people want to watch. First off, there's a political issue, right? Where there's like a portion of the audience that's not going to want to watch the Obamas do anything. Um, and then there's the other issue, which is just how much of this is going to be, you know, take your medicine television and trying to like say get, get people engaged in public service and changing the world and all these things that former presidents tend to do is that going to be i mean it's totally prestige for netflix to do that but what's the audience going to be like for that so we'll we'll have to watch it but it, what a what a world we live in where the second act for a former president of the united states is uh making a deal with uh, streaming service how, how different is it to writing books these days though really you know, yeah, you know, it's true. It's true. I mean, the, the challenge there is is the books. What are the books like? A memoir will sell well, right? Mm-hmm. But so will a TV series from that. That Obama sits down to tell, walk you through his presidency in interviews with people. Obama talks with people in his administration about the Obama administration and the hard choices they made. And there's a thing about Osama bin Laden. And there's a thing like all of that, like the mistakes they made and the things they feel that they are proud of and all of that. That would be an interesting series. I kind of feel like instead what we're going to get is, you know, stuff about like a spotlight on volunteerism or, and I'm not trying to, or other stuff like that, which again, I'm not trying to belittle those efforts. Those are important, charitable, philanthropic efforts and getting people to, uh, you know, speak, speaking to people about getting them excited about this stuff and all that. It's great. That's a great role for a former president, but that as entertainment, I am less sure is going to reach a particularly broad audience, but who knows? I mean, I would love this to be like, Hey, you know, presidential memoirs. Well, it's a show. <laughs> like what? That would be amazing. But again, I don't think that's what they're going to do. Although, uh, call Who me uh, Netflix or the Obamas if you want to talk about the uh, <laughs> the idea of uh, I'm I'm available for you to consult on your memoir television series. But but wouldn't that be cool? I think that would be really interesting if it was literally like the people involved in a presidency breaking it down uh, a few years after the fact and kind of justifying themselves and having people question them and having them do a little bit of failure analysis. I think that would be fascinating. Um, like, like I said, like a video memoir almost, but it ain't going to happen. This is probably not what they're doing. But who knows? Could be good. I mean, they're entertaining. No. We'll wait and see. Uh, sure. Canal Plus in France now offers an Apple TV as a cable replacement box. 
Um, they Canal Plus are like a TV provider. Uh, they have gotten rid of their own boxes now for going forward mm-hmm. and will be offering their current 5 million customers the opportunity to have an Apple TV instead of their satellite TV boxes. Um, these customers will be able to watch programming in the Canal Plus app, and obviously they'll have a login for that. Um, and the boxes, the Apple TV boxes, are on a lease agreement of €6 Euros a month. Um, Canal Plus customers can currently opt to stick with their current satellite service instead, or they can switch over um, to the Apple TV option. This is very interesting. This is a satellite TV service that's also becoming an over-the-top, mm-hmm. as they say, TV service and internet TV service. I think it's great um, to see this. I think this is going to happen more. Yes. I've mentioned on previous shows that the Comcast app, the Xfinity app on my iPad, is essentially a... When it, when I'm in my house, it's essentially a cable box. Mm-hmm. I can watch any channel that they have in my house uh, live. Plus, I have access to all the on-demand and and the extra you know stuff that they've got. And I realized at some point that if they put that on the Apple TV, my Apple TV would would essentially be a cable box. That it wouldn't have all the features. They don't have a they don't have like a DVR feature on on their stuff and I have a DVR so my DVR is way more functional than this but it's so close to being that and we've seen some of these over the top providers and they have cloud DVR and things like that in order to take care of that so I think this is a question on one level of like is is it better for cable companies to offer this sort of thing um or does it it risk making them uh you know if you're going to get your cable companies uh, app, why don't you just use the YouTube TV app if it's better, right? Like that, that would be the argument there. And, uh, but I think it also says that. Well, they may, that Canal Plus like may have exclusives in France or whatever for certain channels. That's, that's true. That's true. But I'm thinking that's how they have to compete then. Yeah. At, at that point, your cable provider, separate from your internet, and my cable provider is my internet provider and that's how they get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, it, it does, it, it at one point, the over-the-top services are so full-featured that the cable companies are just essentially competing. They're another over-the-top mm-hmm. service. Whether they're using their proprietary way to get video into your home or whether, like Canal Plus, they're like, look, here's an app. Just use that. Either way, they're just all competing then. And that's a that's a separate competition from being the provider of, of the internet pipe. And that that is um, that's a little bit different from what some cable companies do now where they control your internet and they control your uh, your your video but in the end I, I think more competition is good and having having uh, competition for who your TV provider is is uh, is potentially a really good thing so also I, I'll point out again this is a satellite service which is notable because satellite services don't have high-speed internet, I mean, they've got low-speed internet, but they don't have high-speed internet to your house. Yes and no. So, like, you can't offer it over satellite, but these companies also typically tend to offer internet service now as well. Some some do. In in the U.S., in the U.S., um, uh, the satellite services generally, although there's been some, some consolidation, but generally, you know, the satellite service doesn't give you anything, but there is satellite internet. It's very slow, a lot of latency. It's not good. Mm-hmm. But... Um, and a few of them, like DirecTV is owned by AT&T, and AT&T has broadband in some markets, but mostly it doesn't. So if you're if you're like me, I used to be a DirecTV customer, um, I still had to have high-speed internet from someone else. And it was AT&T for a while with DSL, and then I moved to Comcast for... And then eventually I, I picked up Comcast for TV. So what I'm saying is, if 
if you're not in lockstep where like most of your customers are getting TV and internet from you, it's a lot easier to do this. Right. Because for you, you like you're already under pressure mm-hmm. because they've they've got another company they're paying for their Internet. They could drop you in, on a moment's notice. And so for them, they're, they're basically saying, look, however you want it, satellite, Internet, whatever. We don't care. Just use us for your TV and we'll be happy. And um, I, I think that that's just we'll, we'll see more of that. Direct TV now is a is a uh, is an over the top service that is the it's the same kind of idea they're a satellite broadcaster and there are limits to that so now they also are an over the top service so um yeah it's it's interesting even if you're not in France it's an interesting development because most cable companies could do this today if they really wanted to they'd have to invest in the technology a little bit but like a lot of their apps already are there for this stuff they're just i i see why they would be reluctant because they're they're once everything is an app, then they have to compete with all the other apps. Whereas right now they get to be like the monolithic TV provider and you don't have to use them, but a lot of consumers are just like, okay, they they, they give me my TV. At least older consumers. I think younger consumers do not care about their TV services, but um, but there's still a lot of money to be made in, in selling people cable instead of internet and then pick an app. All right, buckle up. This one's a little bit confusing. Google announces Woo! YouTube Music and YouTube Premium. So they are separating the features of YouTube Red, and they are now charging oh. for them differently. So oh, it boy. will now cost you $9.99 a month to get YouTube Music. This was the existing price of YouTube Red. Um, YouTube Red did come with some music features, like you got to be able to listen to YouTube in the background and stuff like that. But Google are now creating a YouTube music streaming service. It's going to be have its own dedicated app for uh, mobile and desktop. They are building a full-on music streaming service now. Um, I am assuming Google Play Music is going to die uh, because they are leaning into the powerful brands and the advantages of YouTube for this. Mm-hmm. Um, Google say, then, and again, like this is how you can, I think you can read that, is they say that w- they have the YouTube advantage, is what they call it. Um, this means that as well as official songs, right, so you get to listen to, say, the Taylor Swift album, you also have, because it's YouTube, access to thousands of remixes, covers, live versions, and music videos. So that does make it quite interesting. This is something that Apple Music doesn't have, Spotify doesn't have because Google have. So say for example, if you like Pomplamus and you like their covers, and you can get them immediately because they're in YouTube, right? Ah. So uh also Google have or YouTube has a powerful search engine algorithm behind it. They give an example of you could search for that hipster song with the whistling. And you would get the song Young Folks from a few years ago. This is an example that they give. I like that thought, right? That and it makes sense. You because people are searching for this stuff right now in right. YouTube. So like YouTube's algorithm for finding this music is incredibly powerful. So that's going to be YouTube Music. If you want to get ad-free YouTube, the ability to download videos and get access to YouTube Originals or the YouTube Red stuff, you now need to pay a total of 11.99. You cannot have this separately. You must have a YouTube music subscription and then you can pay extra for youtube premium which is an additional two dollars um however 
If you are already a YouTube Red customer, you're grandfathered into the $9.99 price. This will be for new customers only. I believe that is rolling out this week. So if this sounds interesting to you and it hasn't rolled out in your territory, maybe go sign up for YouTube Red right now uh, because you'll get it for $9.99. The big news for me is that YouTube Premium and YouTube Music is going international. Previously, YouTube Red has been US only. So rolling out in the coming weeks to many countries, including Germany, France, Mexico, Italy, and the UK, we're going to be able to get YouTube Music and YouTube Premium. Now, I am really interested in YouTube Music because of the Mm -hmm. additional features that YouTube has that nobody else has. Like, I'm really keen to try this out because if they have all the songs that I want, they have playlist functionality, right? I'm assuming that they can do a lot of the like discover weekly type stuff, probably better than Apple can, maybe not as good as Spotify. We'll see. But the fact that they have all of this other content that they can give you around that musician and around that song, that is a competitive advantage that Spotify and Apple cannot match them on for now. And I think that's really cool. I think it sounds really interesting. I'm keen to see what the apps are like. But more than anything... I want to get YouTube Premium because I want to be able to download YouTube videos. That I I have a workflow that does this, but I'd prefer to not yes. have to do this. I would like to be able to just watch them in the app, download them in the app, and so because I like to watch like some video game streams that I like, for example, when I'm flying, and it's such a pain to have to do the yes. whole rigmarole. Now we we paid for um, YouTube Red uh, last summer for a couple of months. There was a there was a trial, and we did that because we were going on a long car trip, and Julian wanted to download a bunch of his favorite yeah YouTube videos and watch them while we were you know in the middle of the Nevada desert right mm-hmm. so streaming is not it would kill our cellular even if he could and we don't want that and, and we did that and that's okay I'm fascinated by this because this shows you all the strength and all the confusion of Google's brands mm-hmm. right like first off they they tried to launch you know they have a Google music brand that is that was originally famously Google Play Music All Access, the worst product name for worst service name ever. Um, they may keep that or they may kill that, right? But that that is a traditional, if there can be such a thing, music streaming service <laughs> like old Apple Music, music streaming, yeah, yield yield Spotify. <laughs> um, the, so there's that, and then there's YouTube. And the funny thing is, like, I get it. I get it, right? Like, YouTube is not a music brand in the sense that its name even is about video and we think about it about video. However, that hasn't stopped it from being one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, that yes. many people, especially uh, younger people, mm-hmm. listen to music. I think that YouTube is probably the biggest music platform on the planet. It's possible. My daughter listens to music on a music app. She's using Apple Music now. She used Spotify for a while, and I said I I upgraded us to the family plan for Apple Music, and she has switched now because she has everything in there. But my son really likes listening to video game music, and it's all on YouTube. He will literally just put his iPad playing YouTube music on his headphones while he plays video games, right? Like, And I think this is a very common use case. We took a family trip this weekend and we brought one of my son's friends with me um, you know, he he came along, and uh, so then I had I had two of these boys in the back seat, uh, and they're both doing this, right? Like this is just what what uh, that cohort is doing, um, and so on that level, it's like, yeah, I know you don't think of YouTube as a music brand, but it's actually an enormous music brand for some people. I think the danger of Google um, just killing their traditional music service would be that. 
Um, some people aren't going to ever see YouTube as a music brand. But the problem is the, those people are probably already using Spotify, right? Like, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe maybe choose what you're best at. And, and YouTube is what is best at doing music for within the Google portfolio. So just leaning into that, I kind of like that idea. Um, it's going to be, right? Like, not every service is for everybody. Your description of all of the advantages that, that YouTube has... Um, in terms of all the content that's around that, the ancillary content, that's the stuff that I listen to once and never want to listen to again. Sure. So for me, I'm like, I, I don't care about that. I'm also really skeptical of, because of Google in general, that they're really going to be able to do something like a discover mu- you know playlist or, or curated playlist because that's not them. They're algorithm-based, and I'm not entirely sure I trust their algorithms to actually give me uh, over, over having some human participation in the curation. But again, that's a style thing. Like, for other people, you just trust the... U- I mean, when I think about using YouTube, you kind of trust the algorithm, right? Like, oh, look at these videos. How many times do you play a YouTube video, video and then you see, like, five interesting videos that are generated by the algorithm, right? So there is something to be said for that. Um, and, and so that's all good. That's all good. I think as weird as it is as an old to look at this and be like YouTube music service, it makes sense. It totally makes sense if you understand what YouTube is in terms of being a music delivery platform for uh, especially young people. My problem is the video stuff because I feel I like I, YouTube Red was weird because it was like all these YouTube features plus premium content. And of course, they've changed their premium content strategy too, um, where they, they, they were like working with YouTubers and now they're still working with YouTubers, but they also have like traditional... It's mostly celebrities uh, like, co- now. Right, right. And Cobra Kai is just a... It's just an original series, right? They're, they're, they're trying out a, a, an entirely just an original scripted series. So that's the part that kind of... I, I feel like... They're getting their music story together. Their video story is still just kind of a mess because I, I look at this and I think, well, wait a second. So you can't get it separately. So you have to get a music service in order mm-hmm. to get the extra features and the video content, which that seems like a mistake to me. So the YouTube um, music seems like a service that will actually stick um, after them trying all these different things. I would probably lay money that YouTube premium is going to change dramatically in the next couple of years because I'm not sure it actually works or makes yeah. any sense. It's more like they need a place to stuff a bunch of these things. And why you would not just put the, I mean, like the downloading videos and stuff, it's like you got people paying you money. Maybe you want an extra $2 a month. You're Google. You want an extra $2 a month What for the, somebody who's already paying you. Maybe you should just let them have that feature. Ad-free is weird. It's it's fine, but of course, staking anything on ad-free is always strange because you have a relationship with advertisers. And now you're telling them that we have this hardcore group of people who you can't reach, which is also a little bit weird. And then you've got the premium content. So I'm not sure they've got a whole story there. Um, but then again, I could also say maybe Google saying, look, we're not going to build our own, you know, our own video streaming service outside of YouTube. And we're not just like, we probably shouldn't have built our own music streaming service outside of YouTube because we own YouTube and we're just going to be YouTube as much as we possibly can. And I can see, I can really see that argument. Um, I, I feel like the end result may be that they realize that generating all of this premium content, whether it was with YouTubers or then celebrities, or then they, they bought this scripted show, they may realize, no, that's not us. And they just, and just kind of back away from there, but it's hard 
You can see Apple couldn't resist it. It's hard to sit on the sidelines as a tech giant and see Netflix and see what Amazon's doing and how Apple's doing it and be Google and like, but I really want to compete with those guys. It's like, but you've got YouTube. You don't need to compete with those guys. You've got this huge video. But I kind of want to spend billions of dollars on original scripted content. Like, mm, Maybe not. Maybe don't do that. But who knows? I don't know. I, it's fascinating. I'm tired of YouTube and Google keeping changing all of their things mm. and and what they are. It's so confusing and weird. Yeah. But with the music thing anyway, I feel like they maybe found the right approach, which is just to embrace that YouTube is a music brand too and just lean all the way in. Today's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea and with the ability to grab a unique domain, take advantage of beautiful, award-winning templates, and so much more. They are the all-in-one place for you to put your next project on the internet. They have all of the functionality that you're going to need, and they take away all of the stuff that you don't want to have to fuss yourself over. Like, let's say you want to add an online store, or what about blog functionality to your site? Well, you don't have to install or patch or upgrade anything. It's just all there, ready for you to take advantage of with Squarespace. They make all of this stuff so easy, so you don't have to worry about it. And if you get stuck with anything, if you need any help or assistance not only do they have incredible support documentation they have award-winning 24 7 customer support right there if you need it you can just talk to someone and they will help you squarespace plans start at just 12 dollars a month but you can sign up for a trial today you have no credit card required by going to squarespace.com upgrade you should take a look at it play around trust me you're gonna love it i've used squarespace for so many projects in the years over the years and i keep coming back to them because it's the easiest way for me to get my thoughts out and my words out on the internet. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash upgrade, and you want to use the code upgrade at checkout when you sign up to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show at squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade for 10% off. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So I have built a gaming PC. This is something that I've been talking about throughout the year, and I have done it, um, and it's making me, it's, it's given me a couple of things that I want to talk to you about, Jason. Uh, if you are interested in hearing the process of me building the PC, um, I'll do some follow-out to episode 58 of Remaster, um, and episode 69 of Cortex, which will be released within 24 hours of this show being posted. So uh, you can look out for those. And I kind of go into detail about like the actual building process. Um, but I didn't want to talk about that so much here today. I wanted to talk about some of my experiences um, of using a PC again after, well, for one, not having really used a PC at all for four years and not used a PC for like entertainment or my own choice uh, for like 10 years, maybe, right? Before I got my first Mac, more than that, nearly 15, who knows? Um, so I have a few different areas, Jason, that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, app stores is probably the one of the most interesting. The Windows App Store is is barren. It is a bad, it is bad. Uh, it's kind of like the Mac App Store in that there isn't really a lot there. But Microsoft tries to position it. There is, I have to say this because I can't get it. There's a huge storm here happening right now in London. I have to mention it right yeah. now because you're going to keep hearing it. Um, I nearly, uh, my brain nearly exploded a minute ago because of some lightning. I edited that out of the show. But uh, there is, there's a storm. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do to control the weather. Um, 
that's exactly it. That was a, 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 an accurate representation of, of what just happened outside of my office. But anyway, so, you know, the Mac App Store is, is a lonely place, right? And, and the Windows App Store is kind of like that. There are some apps there. There are some utilities there. But most of the stuff that's there, it's not really that useful or, or updated that often because there's just not a lot of focus put there by Apple. And I don't think there's been a lot of focus there by Microsoft. But the thing is about the, the Windows App Store, that is the App Store for all of their devices, right? So you can still get Windows Phone apps and then there's tablet apps and then there's the desktop apps. Um, and it's... If you think of it in comparison to the iOS app store, it's not good. Like, the, I downloaded the official Twitter app. It's just the, the web page. Like, that's all it is. It is literally the web page. Like, you can't even have multiple accounts in the official Twitter app on Windows. Like, all it is is the web page. Um, yeah. It's not good there. Uh, and I think this is why they, they announced this a couple of weeks ago, right? A build, their revenue split change. Uh huh. So they're doing like ninety five percent goes to developers now. Um, if that they, it can be up to between eighty five and ninety percent, ninety five percent of the revenue goes to developers, and this is a clear thing from them where they really, really want people to use their apps, at like their app store, and to use their functions and to actually put stuff there. But there is another side of the Windows App Store, which is games. So like any Xbox exclusive is on the Microsoft Store for PC. Like, this is the reason I bought it, and this shows the big difference, right? Like, you can get games in the Mac App Store, but they're like okay games, or they're older games. Like, this is anything. Like, games that come out now on Xbox, I can get on my PC, as well as being able to get anything from Steam. You know, all these PC games and VR games are available to me, which is why I built this PC in the first place. And like that's that's the big difference, right? Like Apple has apps. Microsoft has games. And depending on what you are more focused towards, I think that's these days why you would make the decision that you would make, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. So I also wanted to talk about uh, just the overall feel today still, because I think Windows 10... Windows 10 looks nicer than any version of Windows I've used in the past. Have you used Windows 10 at all? Yeah, I have it installed on my iMac, actually, because I do have, of course, I do have games that I want to play mm-hmm. that are only available on Windows. And so I set up boot camp. I, I went to my local Microsoft store. I walked in the door. I, I had to make my way through the massive crowds that were outside the Apple Elbowing store people and then went walked with a tumbleweed blowing by into the Microsoft store. I'm sorry, we kid Microsoft, but those stores don't have very many people in them. I had like two, three people who were like, oh, yes, sir. I wanted to touch that Surface t- thing that, you know, the big Surface Studio thing. And like, I couldn't even use it for a minute before I had like two people pop up to me saying, yes, sir, can I help you with anything? I'm like, oh man. Anyway, I bought a, a Windows 10 install on a, on a little USB stick and, uh, and, use bootcamp and got it all up and running on my iMac. So I, I do have it and I have used it. I, uh, it's a little weird because like I learned how to use windows XP, right. Mm -hmm. And that's my, the windows that I like, I know my way around in windows XP and windows 10. It's like, it's so strange. And, like things are in corners and there are little tabs and little blue things everywhere and it's it's a little takes takes a it lot does. of getting used to but it looks great it, it like it is it is the result of Microsoft taking care with their platform 
But what I like, because on the face of it, everything looks way nicer. But you do not have to go very far down to get Windows 95 back. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. So you can go into the control panel, right? And everything's much more nicely designed. And you click it and you can select from these little icons. As soon as you click like properties on anything, you get Windows 95 pop up, right? <laughs> With all the tabs. And it's like, oh, yeah. this is not, it's mm-hmm. only skin deep, this, uh, this, this Windows change. I think their philosophy is like we they they want to float up all the stuff that most people care about to this mm-hmm. one level and it's a very nice level and then if you want to tweak anything they're like all right forget it here you go like you're you're one of those people you know dig down dig down deep and yeah it's hard you know you can't you can't change it all overnight and so yeah there's still a whole level below the surface because it's still windows mm-hmm. right it still needs to it still fundamentally is windows it needs to do the things that windows does and that also means that it has to have all of these kind of weird uh, areas and tweaky settings and things things that seem perfectly normal probably to a windows user but that to a mac user you're like whoa okay now what are what do i have to do yeah but like you know in surprise to nobody like if overall look and feel and polish is what you like the Mac OS is like, I almost, I feel like I had forgotten <laughs> or like not paid attention for a while to just like the overall look and feel of desktop operating systems. Like, I appreciate the way my Mac looks a lot more now that I've used Windows. Like Windows looks so much better than it ever has. Yes. But it's still not, not I mean, I'm sorry if you love Windows, but like for my tastes, it is still nowhere near what the mac is like just from a visual consistency perspective like everything kind of looks the same you know like there are elements of basically all mac apps unless they're like windows first like steam for example right that like all mac apps kind of have a look to them and all of the os kind of has a consistent look to it and this consistency doesn't really seem to exist in windows so much and i know that that is like a thing of windows right so like i wanted to talk about custom customizability a little bit right like it's almost endless on windows you can yeah no you can you know it comes from the build right you choose every piece of hardware you want you make your own thing which is i think is amazing like i've loved doing that like making my own pc and the software as well like it's all kind of you're, you're putting it all together on your own but what that lends itself to uh is a real kind of mess in places right because things just don't they just don't make like map together so well at times you know like apps just look so wildly different sometimes and i don't want to i don't want to beat up windows here but i do think that and everybody can like what they like Mm -hmm. but i think there is a trend in the media especially the tech media to give Microsoft kind of a pass because it's made so many improvements, which again, to be congratulated, Microsoft used to not care (laughs) basically about user experience and design. And they, they clearly do care and they are trying their best. But I will also say, going back to the Mac OS thing, like there are people out there I read now who straight faced say Microsoft has passed Apple on desktop in terms of usability, in terms of design. They haven't. Like I, I don't I want I want a masterclass from those people. Those those I think and again, they are using Windows a lot, so maybe they, they are seeing it and I just haven't gotten it. But I look at it and I think um 
you don't use your computer as much as you used to you because you're using smartphones you are taken in by how much they've improved and so here's a fun narrative because horse race narratives are fun and this is like oh now microsoft is edged haha the shoe is on the other foot now apple microsoft is be i just i don't think it actually bears up other than to say like it's got a bunch of touchscreen stuff that of course apple doesn't even do and if you're interacting in that mode it is very nice mm-hmm. uh on that level they've built it for that and uh but anyway i i i question that and then when you go to the other apps this is the other thing is when I, when i was saying like apps uh or like microsoft is committed to improving windows like microsoft app developers windows app developers not as committed not not as committed yeah. so <laughs> Uh, my my story here is that I have a friend who is uh, a podcaster and a podcast editor, and I uh, I have her do some podcast editing for me, and uh, she and her husband have a, uh, a like podcast consulting business. Let's give it a plug. Podcast. Give it a plug. Work with people. And it's ca- it's a uh, called Castria. It's Erica Ensign and Stephen Shapansky, and they are at I think it's We Are Castria, C A S T R I A dot com, mm-hmm. and I think that yep is I got redirect. it. Anyway. Um, so she's a PC user, he's a Mac user, and we were talking about recording audio and video, and I was talking about Audio Hijack. And she and and I'm like, what would be the equivalent on Windows? And there's a program called Total Recorder. And I, I called up the Total Recorder website, and first off, they make it kind of hard to see what Total Recorder looks like, which I find suspicious fundamentally. <laughs> like... <laughs> you want me to buy your software and you won't show me your software that's i'm a little concerned about that but i feel like it is the perfect example of the difference between the mac and windows which is call record or not call recorder uh audio hijack it's got these little little round wrecked uh you know little squares with rounded off corners that you build like a little workflow and it's got a whole bunch of different functions and you can do all of this stuff and you press the button and the little uh, it lights up and all of this stuff and and then there's like total recorder which again seems like a very functional useful app for recording audio and video on windows but to look at it, it is it it does not feel like the modern uh, version of Windows that Microsoft would like us to think about for Windows 10. It, it it feels like a PC app from the the you know Windows 95 era, which is a whole bunch of rectangles and functions mm-hmm. and menus, and it's confusing. And again, you know, fair enough if it's functional people are going to use it and apparently it is uh it is functional but i had that moment where i was like oh yeah windows right yeah so like you know you were talking about usability right i don't i i just think that one of the biggest arguments against usability is drivers the problems i have been having with drivers and so like drivers are what you need to install to make basically everything work. A lot of them install automatically, but a lot of them don't. So I have a um, a little audio interface called the Tascam 2x2. It's just a simple audio interface that I've had for a while. If I plug it into my Mac, it just works. I can plug my XLR microphone in. It's a USB interface. Works straight away, no problem. It needs drivers on Windows to work. So you plug it in. You have to download drivers from Tascam's website. Um, one, and then uh, I... Plugged it. I had to. My mouse stopped working. I needed a new driver for my mouse. When I installed the driver for my mouse, my Tascam audio interface stopped working. Then I had to like download older versions of the Tascam driver until it worked again. And I feel like I am constantly playing this like game of Jenga with drivers. 
Like it, mm. it's wild. Like it's I I've just like you install one and then one stops working and then you have to update one and another stops working and then this one didn't auto update so you have to like on the Mac you just plug and unplug things and they work, right? Sometimes you need software, but you just need software, right? And it, and the software does its thing. But by and large you don't. And this is this is Apple's advantage of having I I've dealt with this mic with the Hackintosh mm-hmm. stuff, right? Because it's the same thing. Apple builds all its own hardware and it builds its OS and it, the OS supports all the hardware that's in every Mac that is uh, this is where compatibility comes from in large part. OS compatibility is like they have to cover every system, every every OS that is covered, every com- device that is covered compatibility. The OS has to have all the drivers for all the hardware that Apple has ever shipped for those devices, which is hard, but it does mean that every device has the drivers all the time. It's not a problem. And uh, then, yeah, when when you do the Hackintosh stuff, it's the same thing where like uh, either, oh, it doesn't do Wi-Fi <laughs> because there's no driver for that. Or there's like, well, you can take this driver and you can install it, but you have to kind of hack this file and then you do this and you install it and then, and then restart and set this BIOS setting and then it'll work. And, and it, it, doing that, it reminded me like, oh, yeah, hardware doesn't just work. There's software that has to talk to it, and Apple takes care of that whole like thing. You just never have to worry about it. And then if you're building your own PC, no, you got to do it yourself. Which I mean, to be fair, you are building your own PC, but it is a reminder of how uh, good we got it. I wouldn't. I would still have to do some, but I wouldn't have to install as many if I was just buying something off the shelf. Um, but there's stuff I would still need, but not as many as I have needed. But like. This is just, though, like, I find this frustrating, but it's the flip side of the thing that I like, so I'm willing to accept it. And what I like is the customizability of it. Like, I have built a PC to my own specification to mean that it's as powerful as I want it to be, and it has all of the features that I want. Like, I appreciate what Windows can do for me. Like, it is allowing me to do a thing that I really want to do, gaming on the PC and streaming games, that I couldn't do any other way, right? Like, that's why I am happy with it, and I love my PC, because it's my PC, I built it, right? And everything yeah. else is like, well, the software is just the software. It's just a bridge for me to get to the games. Like, I'm not sitting and doing my work on this PC, and that's not going to change, because I like macOS for that stuff. Right. But all I have to do is like, yes, it takes time to manage it. It does take time to manage it. But I'm willing to do that management, because I am getting ultimately what I want out of this, which is... T- the the ability to play literally any pc game around so i think you've crystallized perfectly what i learned after much pain over many years is the fundamental difference i think between people who are enthusiastic about macs and people who are enthusiastic about pcs it's a little bit like this with ios and android but it's really about there this are with parallels the, the, there and again sure. Not not PC users in general, because there are a vast number of PC users, and the vast number of them, the vast percentage, are not PC enthusiasts, right? A lot of them don't care about their computer. It's just the computer that they have. They literally don't care. And I would argue that's what the that nice, bright, you know, blue, shiny layer mm-hmm. on Windows 10 is. It's for them, right? They, they hopefully will never see the layer underneath that that's still a little bit ugly and tweaky, but what you said is exactly right, which is I think P- the PC enthusiasts never understood that Mac users, even if they were enthusiasts, what they were enthusiastic about is that 
Apple kind of like took care of all those issues and like those are issues we don't care about. I don't want to be bothered with them. I want to move this way. Whereas if you're viewing the world as I can make a computer by buying parts and assembling them and then I get all the software and I put that together and I can make the perfect computer for me because I chose the parts. I chose the software. I installed it all myself. I, I made this computer. That is fun for some people. It is an accomplishment. It is a, a thing that you now have that is for you, made by you, to your specifications. That's all great. And that is the that is a divide, right? Because I think from the Apple side, and again, I don't want to generalize because there are people who don't care and there are people who actually wish that you could do that stuff on, on Macs and have always been. Um, but I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Like it's that simple, right? It's like, well, wait a second. You're a you say you're like a tech person and you care you like computers and you like um, knowing stuff about computers. Why would you not want to build your own PC and install all your own drivers? And and for me, that's the dis- that's always been the disconnect, which is because that sounds awful and I don't want to do it. I'd rather spend my time on something else. But it as it's not invalid to say that is fun to do that. I've I kind of had fun building the the two kind of Hackintosh projects that I've done. I had fun doing them. Oh, for certain, you know, for certain definitions of fun, <laughs> but, um, you know, and felt, and certainly felt a sense of accomplishment that I was, I, I got these, these things to work, but, um, also realizing that it wasn't for everyone and that I wasn't going to judge somebody for not wanting to do that because I myself also kind of don't want to do that on an ongoing basis. But like in the end, you got the thing that you wanted yep. and you made it yourself and that's great. Yeah. I, I'm, and I tell you, I'm very happy. Like, I feel like I'm playing whack-a-mole a little bit right now, um, but I expected that to happen because I don't know anything about this world, right? Of like building a gaming PC and maintaining it and getting it to where I want it to be. You know, like I'm doing a bunch of things where I'm like buying this part, but that was the wrong part or like going down this direction. Oh no, I made a mistake here. Like for example, I, I have a HDMI monitor, right? And I just bought an Oculus but the H- I only have one HDMI port, and the Oculus needs that. So now what do I do? Right. So like, okay, maybe I need to get an adapter. I think you got to buy a different right. You got to or buy a different video card or something. Buy a right? different video card or buy a different monitor, like a DisplayPort monitor, because my graphics right. card has one HDMI and three DisplayPorts on it. It's like oh, okay, and a lot of the gaming monitors run by DisplayPort. So like there's just all these things where it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Here's the thing I learned. And this is and mostly most of my frustrations come from the fact that I don't know any of this and I'm learning it. And that's part of whilst it can be frustrating, it's also part of a valuable experience for me because I feel like I have not learned something in consumer technology for a very long time. Right. Like I feel like most of the stuff that I use, I know and I know how it works and I know what I need to know to make it work the way I want. And this is like a whole different world to me. It's opening up, which I'm which I'm excited about. It's great. But it's led me to think of something else, Jason, that I wanted to talk to you about, and that's ecosystems. But before we do that, let me thank Linode for their support of this show. With Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at just $5 a month. And you'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under just a minute. Whether you're getting started with your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode is the right choice for you. They offer the fastest hardware and network with fantastic customer support behind it all. It has never been easier 
easier to launch a Linode cloud server, and they will guarantee to you 99.9% uptime for server availability. Linode is amazing for tasks like running a mail server, operating a VPN, hosting large databases, and so much more. They have amazing pricing options available too. Their plans start at just $5 a month, and you'll get a gigabyte of RAM for that. And they have high memory plans that start with 16 gigabytes and go on from there. So there is something for you no matter what type of virtual server you need. And here's a great offer for you. If you go to linode.com slash upgrade, that's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash upgrade, you will get $20 towards any Linode plan. And if you sign up for the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that will give you four free months to try out. They have a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. And if you go to linode.com slash upgrade, you'll learn more, sign up, take advantage of that totally little credit, and support this show in the process. You can also use the promo code upgrade2018 at checkout. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and Relay FM. And everything I do. And everything Jason does. Because <laughs> my, oh my, that's where all of my stuff is, is on a Linode server. So, yay. So in trying to get a PC set up, I've been focusing a little bit on ecosystems. Because there's been some stuff that I've been doing where, like, if I have my iPhone and I need to get something from my iPhone to my Mac or my Mac to my iPhone, it's pretty easy to do that. You know, like the continuity stuff, I do use some of it. Like I use the copy and paste or, you know, I'll use the notes app or something like that. And that stuff obviously doesn't work with my PC, right? Like I can't can't do that. That doesn't work so well. There are some ways to bridge the gaps, right? Like I have one password on everything. I can get Dropbox and everything, that kind of stuff. But it's nowhere near as seamless. So it kind of got me to thinking about the ecosystems that are out there and the ecosystems that we are in. Um, I would say that whilst I own a PC, I'm definitely not in the Microsoft ecosystem because it's the only piece, it's the only Microsoft product that I own. And honestly, I'm using Google services and Steam and everything else, right? So I'm still in the other ecosystems that I'm a part of, but Microsoft's PC is a conduit to that. So I would say that I think we're pretty similar in the main ecosystems that we're a part of are Apple, Google, and Amazon. Right. And I think this is a way where we may diverge from some of our listeners. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I always keep in mind that it is, I think a lot of our listeners are probably just in the Apple ecosystem or primarily in yep. the Apple ecosystem. And, and there are plenty who aren't, but um, it is something that I think about from time to time, but it's like, I, I don't know, it's just never been, I've always kind of like tried out these different services and sort of mixed and matched. And I like that about it, but no, it's not for everyone. And it is in many ways inconvenient, right, to do that because the the convenience of being in an ecosystem is that it's all just there and you just use all of it and you never have to think about it. And it's the same same idea of people who go into the Apple store and they buy everything at the Apple store, all the accessories and everything like that. Or what we were talking about airports a while ago, like buying a Wi-Fi base station from Apple, you could probably get one somewhere else, uh, but you'd have to shop for it and you know all those things. And it's like, no, nah, I'm just going to get the Apple one, right? Like it's all, it's all from the one vendor. It's going to be easier to set it all up. And so there's some, you know, it's super convenient, but you kind of pay for it. Um, and I, that's the power of the ecosystem, but yeah, I'm like you, I, I, um, every now and then when I write about Apple or I write something about Google or Amazon, I, I will get an accusation that's like, well, yeah, but you just care about Apple stuff. And it's like, I don't know. I am, I've got a lot of Google stuff and I got a lot of Amazon stuff. I, you know, I do not, I, you know, I am a heavy user of the Google ecosystem. So like there are many 
advantages to picking a company and sticking to that company like because the products will work together and there's sometimes less sure like just mental baggage so for example i find myself constantly triggering my home pod well trying to trigger my home pod i should say for music but i actually trigger the echo so i'm asking yes, my home pod to play same. something but in my mind the echo trigger word is how you talk to a computer that because that's what right. my, my mind has been trained to so that is like a mental baggage for me I have to remember oh no i have to ask the home pod in the home pod's way not talk to the echo in the echo's way but if i was all in on siri for this then this wouldn't be so much of a problem for me so this can be some of the issues as well as just the fact that you know if you use such and such company services it can be difficult to get it to integrate with another right like um sure. if you use icloud for your mail it works fantastically in mail but if you use google there's things that you miss right you don't get like push notifications on ios right they're all delayed right there are a bunch of things that can start to get tricky but me and you use apple google amazon products why why do you do that why do you use products from multiple companies when most of these products there is something comparable in every individual ecosystem so for me, it's always the idea that I want the best product, mm-hmm. and and not and sometimes it's the first product that's true. But I always want the best product, and I don't care who it comes from yep. on some level if it's the best. I'm not going to get, and this is again, people make everybody makes their own decisions. But every now and then, over the years, I've gotten asked like, why do you use this and not what Apple does? And my answer is because Apple stuff isn't as good. I, I, like, and there is this implication, like, well, but you have Apple stuff, so you should just use Apple stuff, and that's very powerful. And it can be there are reasons you go that way, but for me, it was always like, no, I'm not going to use iCloud Mail. I'm not going to use iCloud Drive. It's better now, right? But I still don't use it. I still use Dropbox. I've got OneDrive. I still use Dropbox, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's the best one for me, and. I use Gmail. I use Google Docs. I could use I could use Microsoft stuff for document sharing. I could use Apple stuff for document sharing. I don't. <laughs> I just don't. And some of that is because I made a choice a while ago and there's and there's kind of inertia there. But at some point I made the choice that this is better. I'm going to use it. I don't care that it's in the other ecosystem. Um, one of the things that Google does that really makes it easy to also be in Google's ecosystem is Google doesn't... It's actually kind of like at various points in the Microsoft-Apple relationship relationship where Microsoft didn't care if you used a Mac. Um, Microsoft, Even when Microsoft was killing the Mac in the mid to late 90s, um, the... Analysis that was done at several points was that Microsoft might actually make more money off of the average Mac sale than the average PC sale. And it had to do with the percentage of Macs that had Microsoft Office installed on them. And if you think this is the cost of a seat of Microsoft Office and it's this percentage, then you realize like for every Mac sale, every Mac sold, there is a certain percentage of a seat of Office that goes along with it. And, and you start to do the math and you're like, oh yeah, actually, like Microsoft wouldn't want to lose half the market to Apple, but the segment of the market that's buying Macs is also buying Microsoft products. And so Microsoft's fine with it. Google's like that, right? Google's even more so, right? Like they will put everything on everything. Yeah. 
I, I have to say, I mean, and again, maybe the, these aren't the exact right words, but the feeling I get is that Google does not care if you buy an iPhone or an Android phone. They want Android to be good. It is super important for them. It is a, you know, they, they get to control huge parts of the user base by doing that. And we can debate, you know, what they're doing with that data and all of that. But But one of the reasons Android exists at all is that Google got really concerned that Apple figured it out and they were going to take over the smartphone market. And, uh, and, and that would potentially shut out Google from people who use smartphones. And that was bad. They've ended up as essentially the Microsoft of the smartphone market. But I would say the same thing applies, which is Google doesn't care. Google doesn't care if you use iPads in schools instead of Chromebooks. You know why? Most of those iPads are using Google Classroom. Most of those, most of those uh, iPhones, or at least many of those iPhones, it's very easy to use Google Maps and you can use Chrome and you can use you know all the Google services you can use Gmail, you can use Google Docs and Sheets, and and all of that stuff is on uh, iOS too. So they're like, fine. And and so they make it easy. They make it easy for you to use anything. And on, on computers, right, they're in the web browser. So they're like, you know, yeah, you can use, it's that's how they got big is that they lived in your web browser and it didn't matter whether you were running Windows or Mac because you were just in a web browser and that's how Google built their success. So it's it's really easy to be an Apple uh, hardware user and in Google's ecosystem. And I'm one of those people. I mean, I really am. I, I am mostly using Google stuff rather than Apple stuff for the places, the services where they compete directly. Like I, you know, Pages is a, an app that remains in my application folder, <laughs> but I don't use it. Um, I also have the Microsoft stuff and I use that. I mean, I, I use Numbers and Excel for different things. Mm-hmm. And I use Keynote, but not PowerPoint because I don't work in a big company that requires PowerPoint anymore. And I use Google Docs and I use Google Sheets. So I don't know. I'm all over the place. And I think for both me and you, there is obviously an element of we use this stuff so we can try and remain informed. But in doing that, we do also find new things that we like. And, you know, and, and I, we are both... We both have HomePods, but prefer our Echoes for the majority of things that a smart speaker can do. But I do also think that like within the remit that you can as an individual to try and try out new things to make sure that you are aware of what's out there, right? Like, yes. And, and this can even just be the case of like, if you want to buy a new product, do some research about what's available rather than just buying or using the product or service that is provided by the company that you've always used from because like so for example like apple notes is a great example of this right like apple notes was terrible it was so bad for so long and would have been really easy for us to just ignore but when they showed off the new apple notes in like ios 9 or 10 and it it looked really good. It could have been easy yeah. to just be like, they can't do this. Like, it's going to suck and it's going to lose all my data. But I tried it and I was like, oh no, this is actually the best one available for me right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think um, there is, if, if you're like us and you're communicating with people about this stuff, it is, you're not doing anybody any favors by only knowing what one company is doing. Because... And, and this is this is always a conundrum when you're talking about technology stuff. Like my my job largely is not and has never been to constantly justify choosing Apple stuff over the competition. Like I've never been 
in that world. My job is to serve the people who are using Apple's products by telling them what is good and what is bad, whether it's Apple or not, right? Mm-hmm. But that that is, and there's a difference there, like because because this happens all the time when you write about the iPhone and somebody says, "Why didn't you mention that Android is better?" <laughs> it's like whatever or why didn't you mention windows is better when you write about the mac it's like okay mac world always back in the day was like this is not a site about switching we're not going to constantly have that debate we're speaking to people who've made that choice about all the other choices they're making but this is the but my point is what you don't want to do is say apple's got this amazing thing not knowing that that thing already existed from five different vendors and apple's playing catch-up you, you ideally you have a context where you can say that's amazing for things that are truly amazing and that's catch up for things that are truly apple being behind and catching up to the crowd and that is sometimes hard because sometimes it's an area that you going into a keynote or something you don't know about a lot about and apple announces something and you're like oh that's pretty cool and then you have to look around and be like is this new or is this and sometimes the answer is yeah that's actually new and people who have are using the competition are like oh that's really interesting and other times it's like oh well they finally got there but ideally if you're trying this stuff out then you can sit there and you can say all right they advance the ball or you can say all right well they just caught up with google there or they caught up with amazon there and uh, it's important to, to know that, right? To not be, um, not not be missing that larger story. And I think there's, I, I think it makes for better conversation, and it makes for better analysis when you know uh, the bigger picture. Um, and it always disappoints me when I see somebody writing about Apple announcing something and treating it like it's this amazing new thing, when I know that somebody else did it two years ago. Right. Because that's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. That's the wrong way to play this story. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it's important on lots of levels. Personally, also, I want the best stuff and I want to try out the new stuff and I, and I don't want to lock myself in. But professionally, I also want to know what the lay of the land is. That's why I've got, I mean, I've got an Android phone about a foot away. <laughs> I've got Windows installed on my iMac. I use all these different services. Like I want to at least be vaguely versed in the other stuff so that I can, again, not make the argument of like, well, you should just give up (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I'm not people who are going to make those decisions. I'm, they're going to have other people to listen to about the, the big picture stuff, but like the details of, is this better or worse? Should you use iCloud? Should you use Google drive? Should you use one drive? Should you use Dropbox? Like that, that is worth, um, that that's useful for everybody. So I think that it is worth trying to keep up as an individual. And so, you know, it is not practical for anybody to buy all of the products that are coming out or even to buy like one product of every major platform. So like I think it's important to find some places where you can keep up. So I will give a plug right now to download, which is one of Jason's shows on Relay FM. And this is one of the reasons Jason has to be so plugged in, because download covers all of technology. Like and again, like you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe one of the the kind of the, the production ideas of download is unless there is an event going on, you cover one Apple story only, right? Well, I mean we we will or 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 none. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the idea is it's not an Apple podcast. It's about technology in general. And mm-hmm. so Stephen Hackett and I both need to watch the broader market, which is useful for us. That's good for us. He also is doing the Subnet podcast and it's similar. Like he, he needs to be watching for both of those podcasts. What, um, you know, what's going on in the broader market. And then I try to get guests on who, who know about that stuff. And they educate me about what Microsoft's doing and what Google's doing and what, what Amazon's doing and things like that. So that that's good. And it is good to have that perspective to the little bigger, bigger perspective about what's going on in the wider world. And then something I do, um, I watch a lot of YouTubers who work in technology who are primarily focused on Android. So, you know, I mentioned forever MKBHD, uh, he's one individual who's like he is. Mo- he seems to he understands iPhone. He uses iPhone. He has an appreciation for Apple products, but is doesn't really seem to be a fan particularly, right? But he and he mostly focuses a lot of his mobile stuff on Android. And so I he always has all the new devices, and I really enjoy watching his opinions because I trust what he says. You know, like it's good to find people you can trust. So MKBHD for sure, and Austin Evans is a, is another YouTuber whose work I like a lot uh, for for very similar reasons. And uh, Austin's stuff about gaming PCs helped me build my gaming PC. So like I think finding some shows or finding some YouTubers or finding some websites that cover stuff more broadly, I think is a good way to try and keep abreast of what's going on. Like I feel like I understand the Android handset market from watching MKBHD's videos. Like I understand what OnePlus is doing. I understand what like Razer is doing. I and you know like I I get an idea of that from his stuff. So there you go. That I was just thinking about this and now we've spoken about it and now we can take a break and do hashtag ask upgrade. Today's show good. is also brought to you by Simple Contacts, the app that takes the tiresome task of renewing your contact lens prescription and makes it completely fuss free. With Simple Contacts, you're able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test in less than five minutes from wherever you are right now. No more doctor's offices, no more waiting rooms. Jason, is that accurate? Is it completely fuss-free to complete the Simple Contacts online vision test? Yeah, you just uh, put your phone somewhere and you look at it and it looks at you. And I mean, it really, it's, there's not a lot to it because the goal is to get um, to make sure that your your prescription hasn't changed um, because it's not an eye exam uh, and it's not meant to be. It's just meant to, in fact, make sure that your vision remains what is on the prescription so that they are OK, um, g- allowing you to reorder it. So super simple. You can get it done in just minutes. And then once you've done that, you will have access to all of the lens brands that you love. They have options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and more. You can order whatever you want from right from their website or app. The vision test is just $20 for comparison and appointment without insurance. It could cost you over $200. Simple Contacts is going to save you money and time. I want to let you know this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. So they will just be checking that your prescription is correct and they will help you renew your lenses based on their prescription. Simple Contacts does not write new prescriptions or examine your eye health. You still have to do that periodically too. As a listener of this show, you can get $30 off your contact lenses. Just go to simplecontacts.com slash ahoy or enter the code ahoy at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash A-H-O-Y or use the code ahoy, A-H-O-Y at checkout for $30 off. Our thanks to Simple Contacts for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Are you ready, Jason, for hashtag AskUpgrade? I'm ready, Mike. Let me have it. 
Rowan has the first question this week. Rowan has said, At this point, I've given up on Instagram ever releasing an app for the iPad. Do you have any thoughts on why they have chosen to ignore the iPad this way? Uh... I, I don't know. Uh, it, it seems dumb. Um, part of me thinks you can be logged into the web browser and see stuff. And so they figure like, that's fine. Uh, it, it does baffle me a little bit. Like how hard is it for them to take their app and just do a, I know it's, there's work, but like their Instagram to make an iPad layout so that John Syracuse doesn't have to watch, you know, in two X an iPhone app, like the iPhone's popular. It makes the photos pretty. Um, so it is, it is frustrating. My guess is that they've got other priorities and that they just, it's just not on their agenda, but I'm a little, it's strange that it's been this long and that they just haven't even done it. So I don't know. My thinking is like Instagram's business is based around people taking pictures and sharing them, right? As well as viewing, but the taking, the, the putting the content into the system is probably the most important part. So there's but always something there. People take pictures there. on their iPads all the time. We see them. We point at them and sure, say, wow, they're sure taking a they picture do. on an iPad. I just don't think it's as much. And I think that they focus on the phone. I want the app. I mean, this is the only reason that I can assume they, they've not made it is they just want to they, they they want to focus yeah. on the taking rather than the viewing. Um, I just don't, at this point, I don't believe they will make it. But yeah, I want it. I, I agree with you. I think at this point, if they haven't done it, they're never going to do it. Ben wants to know, does the pop socket on my iPhone 10 affect the ability to do wireless charging? I had a bunch of people ask me this question after I spoke about pop sockets last week. Um, the answer is mostly no. Uh, so you can, with a pop socket on your phone, put it on a charging pad and it will charge. If you balance your phone on the pad, it will charge. I tried this out as soon as I got it just because I was interested. But oh boy. to do this, you have to have the pop socket placed in an area on the phone that the phone will balance right so if you have it at the bottom it might not work you might have to it's going to depend on like how much contact you make but if you have it in the middle like i do just underneath the apple logo on my case you can put it on there the phone balances and it will charge through it so i'm not going to recommend this because i have no idea uh what that means or does but it does work i can confirm that i can answer that part of the question you can still charge with a pop socket on your case Michael's question for Jason is, Jason, do you maintain a standard work day, like nine to five of an hour for lunch? If so, as a free agent, have you considered changing that or is the corporate schedule too ingrained in you? If it's not, how does this feel after years being in an office environment with those kind of standard rigid hours? Mm, interesting. Uh, an hour for lunch makes me laugh. Um, I, uh, I did used to work with some people who had like some serious RSI issues who made sure that they took an hour break in the middle of the day because for lunch because uh, they earned it and because they needed the break physically. But I never, I never, I, I would. I would go out, if I didn't bring my lunch, I would go out and get like a sandwich and bring it back. But then I was just eating at my desk. So I never took a, you know, rarely ever took a lunch break where I like went somewhere for an hour and then came back. So first off, I'm going to say that. Um, But Michael, let me tell you, if I was left entirely to my own devices, I would probably, um, I would probably have very different hours than I do. I would probably work much later. Sort of like Mike. I would probably work work much later 
Um, I always, again, I'm older now, but when I was in college and in my 20s, like I found that I was always really productive in the afternoon and evening and into night. Like that was my most productive time. And so I'm going to guess that that might still be the case. Every now and then my wife um, is out, like she's uh, gone out to dinner with friends or she's been doing um, a bunch of extra dance classes the last few weeks because they've got their their end of the term show coming up. And so like she's gone until nine o'clock and I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do some work. <laughs> it's like a treat. I can work from seven to nine <laughs> p.m. Woo. Um, so here's the thing though, the, this implication that it's the ingrained corporate schedule, it's not it. That's not it. The issue is life is structured around work times and I live with humans. So that's the bottom line is I could work, you know, until two in the morning and then sleep until 10 in the morning and get up and kind of putter around for the first few hours and then go back to work at four in the afternoon. The problem is this. I have two children. They go to school during school hours. They wake up at seven in the morning. They come home at four in the afternoon and then they're home the rest of the night. I have a wife. She has a job. She generally is working. I think it's like nine, was it nine 30 or 10 until about five 30. Um, I can't live this weird nighttime Batman kind of life <laughs> because uh, I have other people in my life and they are still on traditional scheduling. So my freedom to work whenever I want is limited by the fact that I, I do have a family and I'm not going to work while they're home and then sleeping. And then I'm certainly not going to sleep through them all getting up. And so I I basically work, you know, eight to five, mostly, uh, it varies, but something like that. And that's, again, mostly because it's the time where people are out of the house and I can do it. So I don't, I, I would love to have a more flexible schedule, but I just don't think it's in the cards. And it has nothing to do with my office. My, my hours are much nicer now because I don't have to deal with commutes and, um, you know, sometimes the traffic where uh, that 45 minute bus ride home becomes an hour and a half. Like I don't have to deal with any of that kind of variability, uh, which is nice. I have no schedule. I don't know what it is. I yeah. You, you were just... like on East coast time in London, which is amazing. So that's the one question I had for you is how do you square that with Adina having a job with hours? Does she just leave and you're you just keep snoozing? No, she mostly wakes me up. I, I'm usually awake before nine, uh, but but I go to bed at like two thirty. That mostly yeah. works for me. Like I'm fine with that right now. Like I'm, I'm yeah, good. you're gonna need more sleep eventually, but sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, it will. I'm sure at some point. But like I can, I function perfectly fine. I, I I honestly I I tend to be a little bit more sluggish if I sleep longer. Um, I don't know why. Like it's just how I am wired for yeah. the time being. I'm sure it will for change because yeah. this has changed mm-hmm. a bunch of times over my life. But that's kind of like I used to really struggle to wake up in the mornings, but now I don't anymore. Um, so yep. that's just kind of where I am right now. I have absolutely no standard schedule, but I like my life that way. That, that I kind of pick and choose. So the way and the way it works is that you're so when when Adina comes home. Do you hang out with her and then she goes to sleep and you you go back to work? 
By and large, yeah. I mean, there are some evenings yep. where I work a little bit later or whatever, but that's typically what happens when she gets home. We just spend time together and then and she goes to sleep. I either work or I just read Twitter and watch YouTube videos. Yeah, my challenge would be that if I went back to work after... I mean, really, because I want to, I want to stay up with Lauren until she goes to bed. So I go go back to work after that. I could totally do that, but the problem is going to be in the morning. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to be waking me up at six thirty, six forty five in the morning. The dog, the kids, um, and Lauren—they're all going to be getting up, and I can't, no. I can't sleep through that. And then all of a sudden, I'm up till two in the morning, and up at six forty five a.m. And that's not gonna, that's not gonna. I would die. So. There you go. That's that's my problem. And I don't nap. That's the other problem. I don't nap. I can't grab a nap in the middle of the day in order to uh, improve things. I don't do that. Eric wants to know if either of us use a UPS in our office studio. This is not the postal service system. This <laughs> is uh, an is it uninterrupted power supply. Is that what is that? Uninterruptible power, power supply. I think it's a it's like a it it basically is a thick power strip that's got yeah. a battery in it mm-hmm. and you've got some of the ports on the power strip um the battery will power even if your power goes out which is it's funny if you're having a thunderstorm like i am today uh-huh. uh, these things can be really useful because they keep they things can powered be. but jason yeah. do you think i use a ups i i'm gonna guess you don't have a ups i don't i don't because i've never had a power outage I don't. I did not get a UPS until I I set up my home office, and then I finally got one. I almost never have a power outage here. We're um, very lucky. I think that whatever our particular little block is, that that it seems pretty resilient because we. It only happens maybe once a year, um, but I I um, I do have one. In fact, now I have two. I bought one a while ago, and then I realized that I wanted to keep my internet up. And so I bought a second one because my cable modem used to be in the other room and I put it in there, my router and my modem over there so that they would stay up. Because the theory there is that if your power goes out, but the internet's still on, you stay on the internet, which is also nice. Um, And you could even power like a Wi-Fi base station for a little while and then you could still get Wi-Fi on your battery operated devices even when the power is out, which is great. Um, so I do have them. I'm going to move one of them. The one that's in there doesn't, isn't powering anything super vital anymore. So I'm going to move it in here eventually into my office. Um, the primary thing is to, to keep the iMac running at least briefly (laughs) when the power goes out. Um, my, uh, my UPS has a USB cable on it so it's attached to my iMac and there are um, software interactions there that my iMac actually has a battery settings menu which is funny because it's not a laptop but it's for when the UPS kicks in and it basically allows it to uh, you know dim the monitor when it's on the battery power and auto shut down after you know when the battery's about to run out um, and the idea there is it'll give you time to save and maybe copy things somewhere if you need them to uh, you know, need to have access to them, but you know you're going to lose your your main thing because I've got a I've got a laptop with battery and I've got uh, iPads and iPhones, but the iMac is not going to make it for more than a few minutes on battery power. So, uh, so yes, I recommend that people consider getting these. They're they're really useful in you not losing data. Um, and uh, now that we store things in the cloud, losing data is not as big a deal. But giving it access, putting your um, putting your router or your Wi-Fi or your access point or whatever on a battery backup, because depending on where you are and what happened, you may find that your internet is still there 
it's just the power that went out. And that means that you can still use your tablet or your iPhone or your laptop to connect to the internet, even when the power is out, which is also nice. So um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the Wirecutters review of the best um, uninterruptible power supplies. I have one of those, one of their picks. The CyberPower is the uh, pick that I bought. And I also have an APC one that I bought a couple of years ago. They're heavy. I bet. But, um, They're just big, fat batteries, right? <laughs> like, but, but, but like, if you're recording a podcast and your power went out, um, like some, some of the podcast recording apps, you just lose the recording yeah, when they you get do upset. that. It's very bad. So I recommend that, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to look into this, I think. Look into one. Yeah. Yeah, because you never know. You might have a thunderstorm, <laughs> sudden a thunderstorm, and the power could go out. Uh, Eric, either the same Eric or another Eric, also asked... Uh, I was really taken with the design of the keynote slides at the last Apple Education event. So this was the uh, like the Apple pencil written, you know, beautifully handwritten, handwritten yeah. slides. Do you think this is going to be a new style for Apple, having a graphic design that is outside their typical, um, or do you think it was just a one-off? Um, it's a good question. I would love it if every Apple. I mean, they do this a little bit, but not as dramatically as the one in Chicago. I would love it if Apple had art directed its entire event, right? Yeah. And this, we may see this for WWDC, well, right? We don't they know may yet. be mm-hmm. WWDC typeface and art style, and that that gets integrated. Like into it's, the it's all that kind of white geometric blocks yeah. and stuff like they have with, on the on the WWDC page. With WWDC, you've got to keep in mind that they probably are using the same template for everybody in the company because everybody who's doing a WWDC presentation has to use the official template. Mm-hmm. And the keynote's a little bit different, but they probably would want to connect it to that. So I hope they do this because it's fun and it's a very Apple thing to do, but it's also a really nice kind of like design motif to say, you know, our event from the invitations onward is all going to be in this particular style, this color palette, these fonts and all of that. Certainly not necessary, but I would like to see it. I mean, I don't think we'll see the handwriting come back, but I think we could see some other just, again, unifying principle uh, applied to the entire event. And we'll see at WWDC if they do that. I bet they, uh, to a certain degree, they will do that because I think that that's Apple. But how far they take it and if they have like all sorts of like unique uh, imagery and typefaces and stuff, or if it looks more or less like what Apple Keynotes look like. We'll see. And finally, Jake asked, do you think we'll see new laptops at WWDC? Uh, Don't answer, Jason. Draft it. He'll get our answer next week. We'll find out next week because we're going to be drafting on our next episode of Upgrade. We'll be participating and competing in the 2018 Indeed. WWDC draft. I think this is our third or fourth, that might be a third, third, third WWDC draft. draft. I think that might, I think that may be right. And I'm up one nothing on uh, on the year, 2018 yeah. so far. And so, unlike last year, there will be a definitive winner this year. We expect because last year we drew because right. I won WWDC and you won the September. So, yeah, so it was one all. It was one all. And we've had a March event. We have this one. We're definitely having a September event. And I reckon that will probably be it, but we'll wait and see. So there's more likely we'll this year to be a definitive winner. But Jason is the winner. He'll be getting his first picks. But we'll run through all of the rules and do our picks in the WWD, Upgrade WWDC draft next week. But until then, we will see you next time. You can send in your questions with the hashtag AskUpgrade to close out the show. 
Um, we always appreciate those. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com and he's at theincomparable.com. On Twitter, he is at jsnell. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. I want to thank again our wonderful sponsors, the fine folk over at Squarespace, Linode, and Simple Contacts. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Bye, everybody. <laughs>